Hi there. My name is Grant Fishbook, and I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Community Church in Bellingham, Washington. And I'd like to thank you for accessing this online content today. And one of our deeply held values here at Christ the King is biblical community. In fact, our mission statement starts with the words, our mission is to create an authentic Christian community. So while we're so glad you've chosen to join us today, I also want to remind you, this is just no replacement for face-to-face biblical community in a local church. So if you're watching this around the world or in different part of the country, we really want to encourage you to get connected in a local church where you can both get to know Jesus and be known as a person because your life really matters. If you happen to be in our area here in Whatcom County, we would love to invite you to any one of our five campuses. You can find out our times and locations at ctk.church. So once again, thank you for joining us today. We're going to head into the worship center right now as we begin the next part of a series that we're simply calling Neighbor. Derek and good morning everybody. I am uh, battling something so I don't have much voice. So I'm going to do my best to try and get through it and you guys can pray that we have enough voice to be able to make it from the beginning of uh, the message to the end. Before we begin, I want to just give you a couple pieces of information. First of all, you'll notice somebody's missing from over here. Normally we have deaf interpretation at our 930 service. We found out that it would actually be better for us to serve our deaf community on Saturday nights instead of 930 on Sunday mornings. More of them could come and, uh, and it also works better for Mariette who is our incredible interpreter. And so that has moved to Saturday night. So if you know people in the deaf community, you'd like to invite them, they can come to Saturday night. It just means she's not going to be here. And I know that's kind of disappointing because some of you really enjoy watching what she's doing, especially when I say words like Nebuchadnezzar, right? And so... Um, uh, she was here last night. We had a great turnout with the deaf community, so I wanted to let you know about that shift to Saturday nights as well. You know, we, uh, we, we love our, our church family, and when one of us hurts, we all hurt. And so yesterday, about 11 o'clock, I got a call from Todd King. Todd said, hey, Grant, um, Karen's dad is failing very, very quickly. He took a turn for the worse, um, and so we're, we're, we're thinking about going. I'm just like, you go. That's what you do. You just disappear, and, and we'll take care of whatever we need to. And so Todd and Karen left yesterday. They flew to Chicago, drove to Michigan, um, and they, they got there just after Karen's dad passed away. And so we're going to take a moment just to pray for the King family. We're going to, I promised Todd, I said, we're going to pray for you in every single service uh, because when one of us hurts, we all hurt. So would you join me? And let's just pray for the King family right now. Father God, we pray in Jesus' name for Todd and for Karen as they walk through the grief of losing Karen's dad. Lord, we thank you that Frank uh, desperately wanted to go home to Jesus. So we thank you for that blessed hope. But Lord, it doesn't make the grieving process any easier. So would you be the Prince of Peace? Would you be the King of Kings? Would you be the wonderful counselor for Todd and for Karen and for their family right now? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're big enough to be here and in Michigan at the same time. So Lord, bless them as they do what needs to be done. And God, would you give them a very special grace during this time of loss. We love them and we know that you love them. So would you be their ever-present Savior? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
had the opportunity to sit with a bunch of city and county leaders just over the past week. We were having lunch together. And the conversation around the table revolved around some of the projects that different people were working on just around that particular lunch table. One person shared that they had been working on the Hearst Water decision here in the county that's affected a lot of people that are trying to build and wells and all the different stuff that goes along with that. Another person said that they're working on a team to try and retrofit the old jail, so they're working on that part of our community. Another person shared how they were working on a homeless initiative that had started in Seattle, kind of migrated its way north into the Bellingham community. Another person said they we're working on kind of an economic water project or economic um, commerce project uh, that had to do with the Bellingham waterfront. And, and so all around the table, big stuff that's affecting our community. And then one person at the table said, Grant, what are you working on? And I said, I'm trying to get CTK to take Jesus seriously when he told us to love our neighbors. It just went dead silent at the table, just dead silent, right? And one guy, actually, he was the first one to speak. He goes, okay, you win. <laughs> I'm not sure what he meant. Another person said, good luck with that. Like, okay, that's really good. And then another person said this. I hope it works. Because if it does, I think most of these other issues will get solved. David Pathak is a pastor in Denver. Had an opportunity to meet David at a, at a conference earlier this year. Gathered a group of pastors to ask the mayor of Denver how they as churches could serve their city. And in the meeting, a whole long list of needs came out, right? Needs that I think are in every single city around the country. At-risk kids, housing concerns, child hunger, drug abuse, loneliness, elderly shut-ins. The list went on and on and on. And the mayor of Denver, in response to this group of pastors, said this. The majority of issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. It's the same heart as what happened at the table that I was sitting at. And this is how I interpret this. The world is actually asking us as followers of Jesus to take Jesus seriously. I really believe that to be true. We started on this journey in the city of Athens. The Apostle Paul is talking to a group of Epicureans and Stoics, relativists and moralists. A group of people that I think very much resemble uh, you know, this broad continuum of people that we have here in Whatcom County. And at the end of his message, Paul says this to him, and it's kind of set up our series on neighboring. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determines the time set for them and then we underlined a little phrase and the exact places where they should live. We believe that God put us in specific locations and then Paul actually tells us why. Because the Bible goes on, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him even though he's not far from each one of us. So we learned something. We learned that, that we weren't put where we are because of economics or personal choice. We, we learned that we were put there by a sovereign act of a sovereign God. And that makes us look at the two greatest commandments in Scripture according to Jesus through a completely different lens. Today we're going to look at the commandment again and it's going to force us to make a decision. So constantly uh, uh, th this weekend, I'm going to be asking you, what decision are you going to make? And I'm going to tell you on the front end, you can't have it both ways because both options we're going to talk about are competing with each other. There's going to be a winner. So when it comes to what Jesus says to his followers, how are you going to respond between the choice of serious versus sidestep? 
Are you going to take Jesus seriously or are we going to sidestep what Jesus said, turn the two great commandments into a multiple choice exam where I get to choose which one is more convenient for me or easier for me or makes my life just a little bit easier or am I going to be serious with what God said? I'll remind you of the conversation we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. The Bible says this, Mark chapter 12, one of the teachers of the law came, heard them debating Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So we've got a decision to make one more time. Are we going to love or choose the loophole? Are we going to neighbor or do nothing? We've got to make a decision. Let's throw another, another piece of tension on the table. How about this one? Excuses versus engagement. I've been doing test groups on neighboring different groups of people in every room. I'm amazed. When I ask for questions, well, what do you think are the, are the natural obstacles, the excuses that just jump into your mind when it comes to why I shouldn't have to do this or be obedient to this command? And, and it's amazing because there were five consistent excuses that came up in every single room. So I've listed the five most popular excuses on the board. Survey said, number one, I'm too busy. Boy, we'd all say that, right? I'm too busy. I got too much going on already, Grant. I can't even manage my own life. How in the world am I supposed to have capacity to, to love on anybody else? I can't even manage the people in my own family. Bottom line is, I don't have any margin, and everything you've described about loving my neighbor is actually going to take some time. That's true. That's true. And to all of the people in the room who say, I'm just too busy, comes this truth, because I notice something. Every time I make an excuse, the Bible presses back. Jeremiah chapter 6, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask, ask where the good way is and then walk in it and you will find rest for your soul. God says you're supposed to have margin built in your life so that you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't have margin, it means something, you're too busy. And I know you're sick of me saying this, but I'm going to say it again. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. It's the way that it works. Remember the words of Jesus from last week? Do this and you will live. Go and do likewise. Live a life that matters outside of yourself. Love out of a heart for God. But you're going to have to choose excuses or engagement. You know, it's amazing. Jeremiah says that in chapter 6. Make a choice about margin. And the people of Israel say, not interested. Jeremiah chapter 6, starting at verse 16, you keep reading. They just said, nope. We're not doing what you want us to, God. And in doing that, they forfeited both the blessing of God and the rest that he promised. Excuses versus engaging. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but it actually takes time to love your neighbor. It takes time to actually lift your eyes up out of your busy life and, and notice what's happening. It, it takes time to stop in the driveway and talk. It takes time to pause at the mailbox and actually listen to what your neighbor is saying. It takes time, and Jesus says it's worth it. Excuse number two, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. 
Some of you are like, I don't like people. Others of you are like, I don't like talking to people. They scare me. And what usually comes out next is a set of questions. What if they reject me? What if they latch on to me and I can't get rid of them? What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? What if they want me to come over there? What if something bad happens while I am over there? Right? And the Bible presses back. The Bible says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Don't fear threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, reserve, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's good Bible right there. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who may speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he could bring you to God. We say, I'm afraid. God says, why? I'm behind this whole thing. I will go with you. You can hide behind the shield of faith, which I gave you as part of the armor of God. The question is just simply, are you going to overcome the fear? Excuse number three. I don't care. I've actually heard people say that. I don't care. And I commend them at least for being honest, right? (laughs) Because they say, I don't care about my neighbor. I don't care about their interests. I don't care about their kids. I don't care about their families. I don't care about God's sovereign placement. The bottom line is I don't care if they go to hell or not. Like, let's be honest about about what we're actually saying. The only thing I care about is me and mine. So there it is. I don't care. Boy, the Bible likes to press back against that one, right? James chapter 4. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, to them it is sin. God's got a strong word for those of us who choose excuses over engagement. I mean, Jesus has the audacity to call us sinners. Wow. You know what? I noticed something. Every excuse that I came up with in my own heart, because by the way, I've said all of them, said all of them different times. I noticed that every excuse I came up with actually had a sin response attached to it. Too busy meant I was being disobedient to God's command to rest. Too scared mean I was being disobedient to God's command. Do not be afraid. He says it over and over and over again. When I said, I don't care, I'm embracing apathy. The Bible actually says that's sin. Excuse number four. Well, I'm different than them. I'm different than them. They do bad things. They're messy. They make noise. They don't mow their lawn. They don't wave at me when I'm on the street. They don't talk to me. They fight with each other. They're human. And boy, how quickly we forget what our life used to be like, or or maybe even still is, even though we met Jesus. And the Bible comes and presses back against it and whispers in our heart these words, therefore remember 
That formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, you were without hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are different. You're supposed to be different, and you're to never forget that Jesus loves them as much as he loves you. I got four amens. I thought I'd at least get 41. (laughs) How about this last one? I got an issue with, I have an issue with, one of the most prominent excuses sounded something like this. You know, we used to connect as neighbor, but then we had this dispute. Then we had this issue now, I want to say this. I mean, we, want to, we can't s- subtract common sense from all of this, okay? Sometimes there is a time when you need to take a step back. God doesn't want you to put yourself in harm's way in loving your neighbor. I mean, I'm just going to tell you, right? If your neighbors are the kind of people that shoot through the doors, don't take dinner over unannounced. I'm just saying it, okay? Just don't do that. Risk, yes, be foolhardy, absolutely not. But let's just be honest. Most of the disputes that I have found between neighbors are rooted in nothing but greed or miscommunication. True story from last week after this service. I got permission to tell it from a, from a brother. Prayed with a man after the service who'd been in a dispute with his neighbor for seven years. And he told me, Grant, you want to know what we're fighting over? We're fighting over 18 inches of dirt. 18 inches of dirt. And last week he told me, you are driving me nuts. You need to mind your own business. You've crossed the line between preaching and meddling and now you're up in my business. And I said, you're welcome. 18 inches of dirt. 18 inches of dirt you can't take with you when you die. 18 inches of dirt doesn't actually belong to you at all because you haven't created anything. Jesus made everything. Dirt that is currently keeping two people that the sovereign Lord put side by side from saying a word to each other from seven years. And here's the kicker. He said, we could have solved this three and a half years ago when my neighbor proposed that we just split it, nine inches each. He goes, and here's the thing that kills me, Grant, and is breaking my heart. I said no. I'm the Jesus follower. I said no Because of greed and selfishness and now God is all up in my business. Because you keep telling me that loving my neighbor is a reflection of how much I actually love God. Let's go there. It's not about being a doormat. It's not about having good boundaries. This is about Ephesians 4. Forgive us the Lord forgave you. It's about Romans chapter 12. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I mean, are we going to take Jesus seriously or not for the sake of love? Are we going to make excuses or are we going to engage? Let's keep going. Some of you are squirming right along with me. I love it. This is good, right? Here's a decision, good versus God. Boy, there's a lot of good stuff to be involved in these days, isn't it? So many good options. But my question is this. What's the difference between a good decision and a God decision? I've got a love-hate relationship with a story from Scripture. Let me read it to you. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. 
But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. <laughs> Grant, Grant. Randy, 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 Randy. <laughs> Cindy, Cindy. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Can I be honest? I don't like this story. I don't like it, and I'll be honest with you. I'm a Martha, and I have a conviction. If it weren't for the Marthas, nothing would ever get done around this planet. I'm just saying, okay? And Jesus says, Martha, you, there's a lot of good things you could be doing. But you're missing me. Martha's not doing anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with getting dinner on the table unless you could have been having a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. Martha actually gets reprimanded for serving Jesus. She's just doing it the wrong way. Let me just be honest. If that was my situation, I would have missed him. I would have missed him. I would have been checking boxes and getting things done. I would have missed him completely because there was a better choice to just stop and listen to Jesus. Here's what I got to ask you, church. When your neighbor pulls out of their driveway and you can see the pain and the hurt, there's something about sitting at the feet of Jesus that makes you go, look at them. See them. Notice them. Love them. Pray for them. Walk alongside of them. Stop them and say, is there anything I can do to help you? He's like, I don't have room for that in my life. Excuses or engagement? I mean, loving your neighbor means you've got to choose between good and God. You've actually got to prioritize God and forego some of the good so you have margin in your life to actually lift your eyes up out of your busy life and then to actually take Jesus at his word and make him a priority. You got to choose to keep the main thing, the main thing. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus just told us what the main thing was. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. I know I sound like a broken record. When we get it, we'll move on. One more to go. <clears throat> Ulterior motive versus ultimate motive. You heard Derek say it a little bit earlier during the announcement section. He said, love God, love others. Love others to God. I've had people ask me the question, Grant, why can't we just do the first two? Why can't we do the first two? I'm just going to love God and love others. That's what Scripture says. But that's not all that Scripture says. You know, I'll be honest. Nobody likes dealing with someone who has an ulterior motive. Okay? An ulterior motive is when you're hiding something and then you unleash it on the relationship at a convenient time. Maybe some of you have experienced this before, right? Somebody invites you over for dinner. 
you go over for dinner. You think that's exactly what it is. We're just getting together as friends for dinner. And you spend a beautiful evening together, and it's wonderful in conversation. And then it's about 8.30, so you're thinking it's time to get home. we got to get the kids here and got to do this, all the rest of it. And just before you walk out the door, somebody in the room says this. You know, it's been great having you over for dinner tonight. But before you go, we'd like to share a small business opportunity with you. And all of a sudden, it's just like, I thought we were just here for the stroganoff, right? And now all of a sudden, it's like, no, 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 you want to add me to your sales list. And it just doesn't feel very good, right? It's kind of like what happens, and Christians are infamous for this, right? We're just having a normal conversation, and then all of a sudden, it's just like, hard left, Right? Having a conversation out in the driveway. Man, you got a really nice family. That's really, really cool. I see you got four kids. You got four beautiful kids. That's awesome. Do you know that there's four spiritual laws? And the first one is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I'm going to read from the Holy Bible. And you're going to stand here. And we're going to have a moment. And you can come to Jesus along with your four beautiful children. (laughs) What just happened? And you've heard me say it before, right? Love God, love others, love others to God. I'm going to please stick with me all the way through this or you're going to misunderstand. The ulterior or hidden motive in neighboring must be Jesus because loving Jesus should be the most obvious thing about you. I got one and a half amens. Jesus can't be the ulterior motive. Jesus has to be the ultimate motive. The ultimate motive. Because you all nodded and smiled when I read scripture to you earlier. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus can never be the ulterior motive. He always has to be the ultimate motive, which means this. We are in relationships and loving our neighbors for as long as it takes, decades if need be of being kind and consistent. And when God opens doors that we are willing and boldly to walk through those doors to share what Jesus has done in our lives. You know, we don't become friends or good neighbors solely for the opportunity to share. We become friends because people actually matter to God. And we're called to love people. And I promise you, if you do, I'm already hearing the stories. If you will love God, love others, and love others to God, God will open doors for His glory. Listen to your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us. Compels us. Because we are convinced one died for all, therefore all died. And Jesus died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Let me put it another way. I'm not loving my neighbor to convert them. I'm loving my neighbor because I'm convinced that Jesus meant what he said. I'm convinced that God will honor 
my effort to love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, and to love my neighbor as much as I love myself. Okay, here comes the homework. You ready? We started this week. Going to make it again. I'm going to say it again, okay? We're not, we're not going to do a campaign. Not going to put out lawn signs. We're in this for the long haul. We're going to keep coming back. One more week of laboring, then we're going to come back and visit again in April for a little bit, and then we're going to come back again in August for a little bit. We're going to keep tapping the hammer on the nail of this head over and over and over again until it's so sunk into the wood of our soul that we actually believe that God's going to do something great. So here comes the homework, week number one. You remember? Just pay attention. Just pay attention. Take a look around. Look up from your phone. Pull out into your driveway and just stop for a second. Just look around and see what's happening in the world around you. See whether or not there's a need right in front of you. And then don't drive around it like we talked about week number two. Just, just pay attention. Watch what's happening right and around you, in front of you. Second week homework was even, well, it, it was interesting for so many of us. You've got to pray for your heart to change. I don't know about you, but it's really easy to see my neighbors as inconveniences and interruptions. I need God to do a heart change for me. This was my prayer from my prayer journal this past week. Jesus, if I'm choosing loopholes or excuses, would you please forgive me? Help me to see people like you see them so I can love them like you love them. That was out of my prayer journal. Prayed that from my heart this week. Let's add one more. Make the right choice. Make the right choice. Are we going to be serious or are we going to sidestep? Are we going to excuse or are we going to engage? Are we going to choose the good or are we going to choose God? And are we going to get wrapped up in ulterior motives or are we going to keep our eye on the ultimate motive? Because I checked my Bible again this week and it's still there. Jesus said, it's not my will that any should perish. How in the world is God going to do that? How's he going to reach 200,000 people in Whatcom County that don't know Jesus yet? I'm becoming more and more convinced every day. I'm staring at the answer right now, and you're staring right back at it. And where does it start? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So... That's all the voice I got because I got one more service to go. So we're not going to fire up the band and, and sing a song about, won't you be my neighbor? We're not going to do that. <laughs> Instead, we're going to pray and then enter into the holiest moment of the week when the family of God goes out into the world and takes Jesus seriously. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father God, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that will be obedient. When we hear you whisper, love me, love your neighbors. God, give us opportunity to make that love practical and tangible this week. 
God, help us to notice and forgive us when our excuses were just too busy. God, give us courage when our excuses, I'm just too afraid. God, help us to care. Help us to reach. Help us to touch. So, Father God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today as they walk out of this building into a world that you've called them to love. And I pray that they would start. God, as they pull into their driveway, their apartment block, their dorm, or whatever, Lord, would they just simply look at the people that the sovereign God of the universe has placed around them. And Lord, would you break our heart to what breaks yours? Lord, may we be honest this week about what's getting in the way. And may we pursue you fully and completely as we take you seriously. I pray these things. And commission my brothers and sisters to go and do this good work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.